0: Thank you A question that came in this morning um, on the Facebook feature. Mm-hmm. Somebody said, "My daughter is almost four years old and was diagnosed in November with high-functioning autism. We are on a waiting list for ABA and occupational therapy. While her tantrums have lessened, at times they are hard to control. She gets so upset that it lasts anywhere from 30 minutes to over an hour, and she throws up several times. Mm-hmm. It's something we've we've heard before. How do I calm her <clears throat> when nothing comfor- comforts her?" Um, uh, as it normally would
1: mm-hmm. so there's uh, gosh so many really important things in that short email yeah. um, that we should address. One thing I think that helps a lot for parents to understand is that the you know if you have a really good understanding of what um, what does the diagnosis mean. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the diagnosis of autism, really, if you want to simplify it, I'm not going to go into diagnostic terminology, but if you really want to simplify it, it means that the individual is having a hard time, let's say, communicating, um, interacting with the environment. Mm -hmm. And um, that could be because they have... You know, if, the, if it's a high-functioning child, perhaps they have social delays, which really just means they don't read social cues appropriately. They don't know how to interact with people, and so on. Um, the child could have language delays, um, which means it doesn't mean they don't have speech. They could have speech, but when it gets to like very advanced pragmatic language, like understanding inferences from language, and so on, they could be delayed. Um, and often. There are the presence of these sort of repetitive behaviors as well in autism. And so when you look at those three things, you have to notice that nothing I said listed Tantrums from behavior, and it's really important to note that because then you have to ask Then why does my child have an hour and a half long tantrum and really? um, The the response to that is we tantrum we all tantrum when we can't Express what we want we can't um, And we don't understand that perhaps we will get it, but we have to wait so for it's tantruming aggression and all of this is just functional communication it's a way It's dysfunctional communication I should say it's a way of fun of, of expressing to the world what you want yeah so or what you don't want right so what you want to avoid so when I see my kids and the biggest concern for the parents is always like why does he spit why does he pinch why does he hit why does he throw stuff? Why does he, I always tell them, like, if he had language, what would he say instead of that? Very simple. You know, he'd probably say, I don't really wanna do this, or leave me alone, I feel best when I'm doing engaged in this activity, or I'm not ready to give this activity up and go do the next thing. And you have to understand from the child's perspective, there is no real timeline. A lot of our kids don't understand time. They're too young, first of all. And they don't understand okay if if I give this up I trust the universe that it'll come back to me in 10 minutes I only have to tolerate it for 10 minutes right they think my favorite thing is being taken out of taken away from me and now I have to cope with like nothing in my environment that I enjoy you know perhaps sensory stuff that's bothering me i mean you know, so it's harder for our kids because they're not comfortable in their environments to begin with. And so when they find things that they really are connected to, it's very hard for them to give it up. And so these tantrums and all these types of things are just a um, like the child saying, you know, I don't want to do this, or I want such and such object or leave me alone. It's it's communication. So then you have to ask for this parents for this child why does the tantrum go on for an hour and a half i would guess and i'm just guessing at this Mm -hmm. um that well first of all believe me i have had the experience with children who will tantrum for two hours so but having said that um, usually it's under two circumstances one is it's an extinction burst an extinction burst what you do with a tantrum is you simply remove all attention from it that means you completely ignore it yeah that's extinction now extinction is hard for people to understand because they think that they can communicate with the child during extinction you can't right. you cannot say to the child stop tantruming you can't say to the child if you keep tantruming, I will do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. I I don't like it when you scream and cry. You're, you know, all the, you can't have any communication with the child. In and can fact, I, you can't can even just, have eye contact. Yeah.
0: Can I just say uh, two things really quickly, that we all understand that when you say that, but when they're in the mo- in the moment, it's like we have a hole in our head and we lose touch with reality and we ch- we all do it. We try to have a conversation I, with the kid. Do you know what? I know
1: that. I mean, I, I <laughs> it's swear really I know. It's really ridiculous, that we do like it. Like I said, like, my daughter, my little one used to tantrum a lot when I was trying to get her to sleep, I think it was. I don't remember what it was. It was when she was much younger, but like I would literally sit outside her door and let her tantrum and yeah. every minute felt like an hour. It yeah. just won't pass, you yeah. know? like how could that be 3 yes. minutes? So um I know and I've done I've gone through it with hundreds of kids at card but it is a different feeling of course when it's your own child because you have all this anxiety around it and you're thinking like am i hurting my child am i doing the wrong thing and you're not i promise you you're not especially at that age because you know i I came to the conclusion the other day you know showing off about my kids but i love my kids they're so polite and well-mannered and good kids and i i, I, re- I went through a lot of like these feelings yes. of like am i being too harsh too behavioral is this right all this right. when they were young and, and you know nikki who now works for you she's amazing <laughs> well thank she is you is an amazing it. young woman she's i love her to death she is amazing but you know when she was like I think three, and she would like uh, complain about something or start having a tantrum and meltdown. She was so amazingly trained well that you could say Nikki please go to the hallway and tantrum because we don't want to hear it. And she would literally walk, close the door, scream and cry for a bit, and then come back all done. Like, and that's, the truth is, I mean, we don't necessarily have to get to that point. She was just amazing, but the truth is that the tantrum gets longer because we're interacting yeah. and every time you interact, every time you give the child the impression mm-hmm. that you might now intervene, mm-hmm. it just lengthen the process. Yeah. Because from the child's perspective, what's going on in their head is wait a minute, I used to get what I wanted when I cried. So how come they're when I screamed? How come they're ignoring me now? Yeah. And the sooner the child comes to the conclusion, so the child says, how come they're ignoring me now? Maybe I should scream louder. Maybe I should make a bigger fuss. Maybe I should do something that'll freak them out more. Because yeah. really all they're trying to do is get your attention. Yeah. So it's kind of like, okay, maybe I'll punch the wall, maybe I'll do this, that or the other thing. Yeah. And if you, when they do something a, a slightly different or more drastic, you react, that then becomes the new communication. Yeah. The new communication now is, oh, okay, so screaming on its own didn't work, but if I punch the door, right. it'll work. So from now on, when I'm really upset, I'll punch the door. Right and whether you teach it to a child at 3 or 10 it doesn't matter the point is the child has to realize one thing tantruming or challenging behavior all that sort of stuff will not get a reaction Um, some sort of adaptive behavior like I need a break I want to hold on, um, just touching an icon, whatever it is that yeah. the child's capable of will get a reaction. Right. And when you make that differentiation, the child does stop. Yeah. I have never had a child whose tantrums didn't stop, ever, and I can say it's that amazing. clearly. It's very different from saying every single one of my kids have improved. That's I can't say that because there have been a handful who haven't benefited. Mm-hmm. but. I can say that there has never, ever been a child where when you made the appropriate modifications to their environment, they didn't stop challenging behaviors. Challenging behavior is communication. All that's you awesome. do is you teach the child a different type of communication, that's it. Right. So it's very irritating and sad and scary for this mom because yes. they haven't had intervention or help. This, you know, coming from a lifelong behaviorist with hundreds, thousands of hours of experience, you can't do this by yourself. Yeah. You need help. Um, and honestly the best thing when you're dealing with this level of like an hour and a half tantruming is just to uh, right now all you can do is walk out of the room and close the door believe me our children are not self injurious in the manner that the original definition you know people a lot of parents are afraid Shannon to leave their child because they think the child's self injurious yeah Self-injury is very different. Self-injury in the old days, I haven't seen self-injury in a long time. Okay. Self-injury is really when the child injures themselves for for a stimulatory or, or peaceful, you know, for a reason that's intrinsic, not for attention-seeking. When a child does injurious behavior to seek your attention, that's, it will only happen when you're there. Okay. Our kids are very, very smart. I've had so many of our kids walk, where the parent walks out and yeah. the child stops immediately and looks and sees like, oh, there's nobody here
0: you actually show a video in conferences that's from America's right. Funniest Home Videos. Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. That is
0: hilarious because it's... Mm-hmm. And it was very eye-opening to me the first time I saw you do this in a conference because it occurred to me that I don't videotape tantrums. Right. Right? That's something we just don't do as autism that's parents. That's such a great idea to do that, actually. And and it's a funny video because it's a mom who's behind the camera. And there's two different ones, but they're, the one I'm thinking of, it's there's a, a little girl and she's in her little zip-up sleeper <laughs> and she's throwing a tantrum right and she's just throwing her head back and throwing herself on the floor and the mom steps just behind a wall so and she's videotaping steps behind the wall and the child stops crying gets up and walks over to the wall peeks around the corner says oh that that's where you are and she's fine in that moment and then as soon as she sees her mom throws her head back it's and falls does this,
1: on the floor and does does starts screaming thing.
0: and they do it like over and over and over again. hilarious,
1: right. The mom keeps moving around and the child just follows the mom so that she, baby. And it's a baby. It's like, it's maybe two years old or at 18 months old. Yes. Maybe, yeah,
0: And it really, when I saw it the first time in conference and you were talking about the fact that a lot of times they're doing it th- for our attention. Right. And they're always doing it for a reason. Always. Um, but in that moment I had never been able, I was too busy having my emotions to see that. And when you, when you showed it in a neurotypical child, oh, I, yeah. I, I could see it and laugh at it. Right. And realize that I didn't have to have the panic that I was having.
1: Well, you know, and I don't remember. Was it you? Perhaps it was you. Or one a mom said this to me, and it was very valuable when they said this to me. And I had this was exactly on that video, uh-huh. and I was showing that video, and the mom said, I think after the video. Um, do you realize that so you know the important thing about that is all kids do this right? right right but the interesting thing that she said which really changed my thinking for ever was do you realize that all kids do this but with typically developing kids we are taught as parents to get to a point where it's no longer acceptable right and with our autistic kids it gets to a point where they get the diagnosis Right. and once they get the diagnosis then nobody knows what's ok or not anymore, right. what rules apply, right. and then you continue. And this is so true because we're, as parents, of course, we're trained, right? You have a baby, the baby can't communicate in any way, right? And so, you have to learn to, as a mom, l- read what they want are they hungry? Are they sleepy? Do they need to be changed? What's the yeah. story here? Do they need entertainment? You always figure it out, yeah. And when we have kids that are eventually diagnosed with autism at two or three, we continue to do that because. We feel responsible to do that because how else is the child going to communicate or interact or get their needs met Yeah, so we end up doing that and that's what makes it harder because the child then never really learns to self calm self-soothe self-regulate to be able to actually calm themselves down to a certain point to be able to get to vocalize yeah. instead of tantrum, all that sort of stuff. So, you know, not to blame anyone, it does. this is normal, everybody yeah. does this, most parents do these things. Um, I guess it, the final answer to this parent is, You know, identify always the function. Why is your child tantruming 99% of the time it's because the child wants something or wants to avoid something. Make sure if they want something, they don't gain access to it when they're tantruming. Instead, make sure they get access to it when they're somehow asking for it appropriately okay and and having just one quick caveat is if your child's tantruming and you are predicting that it's due to something like injury or pain that's not a situation you want to put it on extinction let me just say that yes um that's very important and that's why the identifying the function or the yeah. reason a behavior is happening is pr- very critical. Okay. I have
0: two questions for you. Sure. Um, so, and one of the things you said, if we see that it's attention driven, mm-hmm. you said even closing the door, a lot of us are super, super paranoid. Um, and I remember when I, when this was talked about with me, um, because my son was a swiper and a knock things over and I was worried that he was going to knock something over and hurt himself in that right. way. Cause he didn't understand cause and effect. Um, is it okay to set up a video camera where they, can't see so that you can absolutely. still be watching but they don't see that you're paying attention. Well, I mean, attention.
1: Nowadays, all, yeah, it's so easy. I mean, you yeah. just put a video camera or the old baby cams exactly. are video cameras nowadays. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Okay. I mean, I'm not, I absolutely want parents to feel comfortable. Yeah, with you got it. Gotta, and I safety. wish I had that when my I, kids were young. Yes, know? Uh, we did that all the time. I mean, the, the baby I cams, cams are therapy. like a hundred bucks and they're it's videos. It's less
0: even now. Yeah. I, that's what I watched all the therapy on the, the little video monitor because I wanted to see what was happening and it was a great way for me to learn exactly Um, so wonderful and then in terms of because this mom also says she's on a waiting list for ABA and occupational therapy and that's a a really horrible place to be uh, be in right where you've been told it's important early intervention is important now sit around and wait until we can figure it out and get you on the waiting list now uh, we've talked before on the show about IBT, Institute for Behavioral Training and there are some great trainings on there that are in three different categories for people who are uh, practitioners, there's mm-hmm, teachers, mm-hmm. and for parents that we could certainly recommend that she go there and look at some things about uh... you know dealing with like
1: that extinction uh, Chantor- challenging behaviors. Yes. I think there's a section under and I would recommend that you start with the parent section Yeah and that you go also perhaps look at the, parent, uh, the teacher section, and if you still feel uncomfortable or unsure about it, go to the professional section. Yeah. In each section, you're gonna find a whole series of modules on yeah. how to deal with challenging behavior. Yeah. And this is, you know, this is a live person in the studio sitting yeah. there telling you exactly how to deal with these things. And I think there might even be a lot of video footage in the presentation, and I just feel like once you get the hang of it, it yeah. really does help. Yeah. And, and and I really just
0: want to say, I wish we had had that when we were in our waiting period, but my husband and I are enjoying using those IBT trainings. Uh, in stuff, fact, yeah. I think yesterday my husband did the one on compliance, Oh, really? So, which is life-changing to be able to say, sit and watch this, <laughs> let's tighten up the bolts on this. I swear. Uh, yeah. It's a wonderful thing and they're really ridiculously inexpensive. Yeah, um, like so, 10 or $12 or something. $7.50 for yeah, some there of you them. Go. So uh, really amazing, but also want to say to everybody that if, if, and for some of you that's out of reach and I get that too. Too, if it is uh, you can go to act today and apply for grants for that kind of training
1: it's oh my gosh yeah absolutely yeah. in fact thank you for making me think of that but yes uh, I mean we will uh, that'll be very easy for us to right funds for you so uh,
0: you know t- take advantage of this time yes. um, in a way that you never could before right. while you're waiting right uh, and we love that you wrote in and also the thing about the throwing up that we do hear about that I think it's very upsetting to parents yes
1: but yes. it's not all that uncommon no it's not uncommon at all Um, and i think it's uh, i'm I'm not sure that i would say that a three year old would easily be able to do that but i think it's due to the level of frustration that the child reaches yeah um that they simply start to do that now i don't want to get into too much detail here because like as i said i don't know the child but there are a lot of things you can do to um, kind of reduce the duration right off the bat. I mean, yeah. there's other ways to interrupt as I said You need to f- identify the function like why yeah. is it happening? Yeah. And as long as you're not feeding into that particular Reason there's a lot of other stuff you can do to distract the kid I mean yeah. think about if you leave the room and you have the ability to like I don't know turn music on in the background Something I, you yeah. know will distract the child right there if the reinforcer is your attention yeah, then some other uh, calming Actor won't necessarily make this worse in fact it'll make it better yeah a lot of our kids don't even know how to self-soothe yeah and that's like Absolutely. a really important thing, yeah. Absolutely. Great, great answer.
0: I think we should take a break and come back with answering more of your questions, so keep them coming in on our live feature. You can also put them on Facebook. So more with Dr. Doreen after these messages. Welcome back to Ask Dr. Doreen. We have Dr. Doreen Pichet here with us. Hi. A wonderful expert in the field of autism, been working in the field of autism now for over 30 years. Thank you. Which yeah. we really, I mean, I hate to admit that because no one would ever guess that to look at you, but uh, the experience is there and that's really the important thing and uh we were just talking about during the break that we're getting ready to have a shift in the dsm we're going to go to the dsm5 and so next wednesday during this time Mm -hmm. you're going to break it down for us correct yes yes
1: that's the diagnostic statistical manual of mental disorders and that's where autism is classified yeah and for the last since 97 or 94 or something we've been on dsm4 yeah uh, revised and so it's time the the new one is. Already out. I mean, it's actually not out, it's uh, I'm pre pre ordered on it, so it'll come out soon, but okay. yeah, I'm, I'm happy. In other words, it's it's certain that it's coming now, yes. So, and I'm happy to go through it. It's quite different. It's probably, I mean, I shifted already from DSM 3 to 3R to 4 to 4R to 4RTR, okay. So, it's changed a few times since I've been in the field. Uh, the last one from you know, the training manual didn't change much, but. Uh, this is a pretty big change okay. it's almost I guess as big as three to four it's a big change okay. like, quite different so I know there's a lot of trepidation
0: a lot of us are concerned about what's yeah. gonna happen and how it's gonna, <laughs> yeah. how it's gonna shake down and what it's gonna mean and so I'm thrilled to have you next week explaining it all, to all of us because we know that uh, unless they push the date back later on in the month it's supposed to become official
1: this month
0: that we're oh in yeah right May now. May yeah. We'll,
1: but it's very they can't push it back anymore It says okay. Amazon it's okay. out, you know okay. what I mean, it's there been published. It. But the very interesting thing for me is that it's a complete reversal, and I can talk about it next week. Okay. It, it, you know, when we went from DSM-3 to 4, the idea at that point was, I think, to subdivide autism. Right. And this one is a complete reversal of that, and yeah. it's like, mm, our subdivisions were, didn't work. we're not going to divide, we're going to just go through a spectrum and now we're going to categorize. I love the new categories and the what you can do with it. It's, yeah. I, I think it's terrific, we'll see. Okay, so I'll be excited <coughs> to
0: have you explain that to all of us. Absolutely. We looked at it last summer when they had the preliminary one out that people could comment on. Right. And we, and we looked at that one, but and they I, don't, added I have no some. idea what happened. So they Well, that. they didn't
1: change the core concepts, but they added some like modifiers. Okay. Which are terrific in my mind. I just okay. think it's, I like it.
0: Well, and I love hearing that, because Because there have been a lot of people who've been running that rumor mill to make us all afraid right and we have enough fear
1: I don't know what we would be afraid of I think in the beginning a lot of people were saying something about it would affect funding and I was looking at that and I was thinking the only way it's gonna affect funding is in a positive way because there are some sources that don't fund uh, like Asperger's or PDD right now and this now removes that and just kind of puts it on a spectrum it could mess with things if the funding sources decided to say your child's not severe enough because this new system kind of gives you a severity factor but I don't know. I mean, we'll see. There's always yeah. some way, I think, that, that our funding yeah. gets affected.
0: Well, there was that one article in the New York Times that came out that they had done a, I, and I don't know who did the research, but somebody sat down with where the new criteria was at that moment in time, which is not where it finished, and took a pile of uh, files, mm-hmm. real files, mm-hmm. that were from, I believe it was 1993, mm-hmm. and said, if we were to apply the new criteria to these kids, how many of them would still be considered on the spectrum, Mm -hmm. and the number was about 50% of them. And I think that's where the panic ensued, that people said, is my kid no longer going to qualify? Sure,
1: but, I mean, if you apply criteria to 1993, you really— have an intention of proving something wrong because 1993 is extinct. 1994, we had DSM 4 It might be 1994 then. I might be misquoting it, but in any case,
0: that was the number that came out right, that half right. of our kids Would aren't going to qualify for it now, and that was
1: where people were getting concerned. And, and it's probably true. I mean, you know, what will happen is that their diagnosis might shift from autism to PDD, autism to Asperger's, okay. but quite honestly who cares right like, you because have funding, funding for it <laughs> because funding yeah. now is much more broad right yes. it's now asd but the thing for me is i've always told parents that this, this label the single reason that the label matters is funding yeah that's it that beyond it. that the label means nothing right and that is so important because i think that that people there's such a huge level of fear with this label, and I don't. Ju- I just don't want people to see it that way because right. it's not it's so many different symptoms and we just call it one thing well let's start just breaking it down and fixing the symptoms you know yeah
0: well and my sort of feeling about it is we have so much to be afraid of anyway if there's something we could you know i I picture it like suitcases that we carry around with us the stuff that we're afraid of there's some stuff that we can go you know i don't need to carry this suitcase anymore let's just put it down and leave it where it
1: is right and keep walking so i really do invite parents actually now that Mm -hmm. you've mentioned that for next week because Mm -hmm. I'd love to have a lot of dialogue with parents while we're presenting this. I'd love to get some more information about what their fears are and how can we help. Fabulous. I love that. So that'll be next week's
0: show. Yes. Uh, We've a very exciting week shaping up next week. We'll talk about that in just a minute, but let's get to another question. Hi, Dr. Reen. Um, My question is, how important are peer models in a classroom to our kids that are high functioning? Does it really matter? My son has an opportunity to attend a well-known autism school in Columbia, Ohio. However, he would be leaving the mainstream third grade neighborhood public school with a full-time aide to attend a program of 10 kids with three teachers in the autism program. I just wonder, what is the priority? Also, the public school does not give any rewards to my son for when he shows independence from his aide, so why would he be trying to be independent? Very frustrating indeed to know how to wean him after four years of dependence. Thank you.
1: That's a great question. Isn't it? It is. Um, and it's unfortunately one that I can't answer for your child because there's different levels of support in, in academic settings, and it, that's all it is really. So, and, and, you know, what's appropriate for your son, I'm not sure because I don't know your son. But the way that I look at it is this. So you start with, like, the highest level of support, and the high, and this is funny that we were just talking about the diagnostic manual because that corresponds to this, actually, mm-hmm. completely. It's the more support you need, the higher the level of autism they consider you have now. But so let's say the highest level of support, and you have this on most IEPs. There's actually a little, like, individualized education plans. At the top, there's, like, a little tiny diagram, and it starts with, I don't remember, I think the bottom is the highest support, and it's kind of like... In a special education classroom uh-huh. and that means that every child in that classroom has autism or some other learning disability and that there's a you know special ed teacher and two aides and that sort of thing the next level of support would be you know in a special ed class with some pull out um, next level would be in um, in a reverse Uh, uh, mainstream program so that means your child's like potentially in mainstream Mm -hmm. but pulled out for a couple of hours to go into special ed you know so there's all these categories and the highest category is like regular ed without any assistance right Okay. so somewhere in there is You know, special ed with their own aid. That's a very high level of support. And then somewhere there's regular ed education with their own aid. And then so in this case, what it sounds like is you're kind of doing a backwards. You're going from regular education with an aid Mm -hmm. to special ed. And I understand that in special ed, your child might not get uh, full one-to-one attention. But nevertheless, it's a higher level of support because now we're having modified curriculum, modified instruction, and so on. So my perspective, depending on my child, I often don't like special education the reason I don't like special education is more than just my child is going to be modeling other peers who have other behaviors that's one reason for sure right Um, and and keep in mind that I don't know with your child but I assume if you're listening to this program you're somehow in the world of ABA and ABA teaches children to imitate period (laughs) so we've taught your child to imitate and now we put the child around behaviors that are not appropriate okay so of course he's going to imitate some of them and you will have to teach him again what's okay and not okay the other reasons though are there will be other children in the classroom who will need more attention yeah so what happens tends to happen in special education not always it really depends on the teacher and the level of support the teacher has is like you know, children, the the children who get who have, the worst behaviors are the most challenging behaviors are the ones that get all the attention so the kids in the classroom kind of start to be, uh, learn right. oh I need to act out more if I want attention that so that happens yeah. um, and that's another reason I don't like special ed the most important reason is because the expectations on your child go down right like everybody starts to expect less because yeah. he's in special ed and that is never good because if you expect the what you expect is the highest your child will ever ever achieve. Yeah. That's why I always tell my parents of my high functioning kids, especially, raise your expectations and stop treating him as if he can't do it. Yeah, because that's what happens in special You get a lot of assistance because the assumption is you really can't do it. Yeah. So if it has, if you agree, and if it has been determined through testing, assessment, and so that your child really can't keep up with a modified curriculum in regular ed with an aid then yes special ed would be appropriate yeah. but if your child is able to keep up with the help of a regular educate with the help of a um, tutor or a, a shadow then yeah. that or, and and with some modifications to curriculum which they have the yeah. right to have then i would keep them in regular ed okay these are and there's a million issues around this like yeah. let's say if the child is being bullied in regular ed mm-hmm. then you don't want them in that environment let's say the school system says the teacher can't handle your child anymore because we only have two aides in regular aid and they can't spend all their time. Well, then you need to have an IEP and go get your child's own aid. There's a billion things about this, so yeah. I can't get too specific. But well, I'm also going to throw a caveat <clears throat>
0: into this because I don't think it's the same mom. But I uh, I'm aware of somebody who has been fighting a school district who does not want to make accommodations in any way, shape, or form and has not been. Um, how do I want to say this nicely? A school district who is not making progress with a child and they're not willing to change their goals. Right. And, and sometimes, um, that can be so debilitating to a child if you don't have a team of people who are wanting to be forward thinking and make progress and make room for a child and and if you had that situation okay. where the school is not participating, and you had the opportunity to go to a program who's making progress, that's got people on staff who know how to incorporate ABA into the classroom, then go for it. Go for that. Yeah. But I think it's hard for parents to know because you know you you walk in off the street and don't know what the school looks like, and they go here, pick between those these two <laughs> things. Right. And you're thinking to yourself, well, I want the least restrictive environment for all the reasons you just said, but if the team won't play in that least restrictive environment and you're not going to get it done and you're not seeing the progress, sometimes the now it's I think there's starting to be a shift that sometimes the special the special ed program are the people who have adopted the ABA techniques and 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 they're the
1: ones that actually know what they're doing. So now I' I I feel so bad for families because, good Lord, there's just so much to deal with. Like, I can't even handle these things with my own kids with regular school, honestly. There's just so many things. It's overwhelming. It is completely overwhelming. And And So the one thing is that when we get to know our kids here at CARD, when we've spent a little bit of time with them, done a bunch of assessments, we really do go out, we observe the school.